You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iowa. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. What does it mean to live a holy life? And what can we learn about people who are craftsmen, people who learn how to make things with their hands and craft things through their skills and abilities? Our guest today Uh, has done a lot of work and writing on this subject and has come up with the description of holiness as a kind of masterful living. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Manoya. Dr. Manoya is University of Chaplain at Azusa Pacific University, where he cares for staff and faculty and helps the institution with issues of identity and who they are. And he's also the founder and chair of the Wesleyan Holiness Connection, an organization he started about 15 years ago. So he's been active not only in writing and thinking and organizing about holiness and holy living, but helping people implement that in their own lives in really personal ways. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome, Dr. Manoya. You're welcome. It's great to be with you. Thanks for taking some time to talk about this. Well, let's just start where where we were. You, you've written on holiness and you've described it as a kind of masterful living. That that picture, that metaphor, really speaks to me. Uh, tell us, tell us, uh, tell the listeners what what's that mean? What does holiness as a kind of masterful living mean? Well, that's a great question. And as I describe it, actually, in the first chapter of that book, um, we often use the term masterful to describe something that was done with technical competence. In other words, and I'll use what I write about, you know, a painter paints a painting and we admire that painting in the museum. Uh, We look at the strokes, we look at the colors, we look at the hues, we look at the texture of the paint, we look at the dimensionality of the painting. And we say that an artist or a painter is a masterful painter when they have achieved a high level of competence in doing all the techniques exactly right. And so we admire that and we say that it's masterful. However, when you go to a museum and you look at a piece of artwork, most of the time, the thing that is the most impactful is not the technique, but it's the effect. So when you look at a piece of of art, you look at a painting, and you start reflecting on it, and you start allowing this this internal dialogue to take place, uh, you suddenly begin to see the personality of the artist coming through in the artwork. And suddenly you begin to understand that artist's person a bit more. And when that begins to happen, suddenly you realize that that artwork is, is very, very effective in that it is conveying the nature of the artist through what's on the canvas. Now, that is truly masterful art. It may be or may not be particularly competent in terms of technique, but when it conveys the personality of the artist, now we say that it's full of the master. The master can be seen in the artwork and it becomes evident to the person who's looking at it uh, what that artist was like, what their personality was like, what their nature was like. And so the art is masterful in that it's full of the personality and nature of the art. Well, in like fashion, of course, 
when we live a life that pursues holiness, we are not called to live a life that is technically correct, living up to all the rules and regulations that some external group of people or even the church has given us to subscribe to. Really, we live a holy life when through a singular act of surrender, uh, we have opened ourselves and made ourselves available so that the nature and personality of the master, who is God, is now suddenly able to become more and more evident in us. So holy living is nothing more than being full of the master who is holy. Hence the call to live masterful lives, which is leading a life of holiness because the chief characteristic of God is that he is holy. That appears more in scripture than any other theme. So through our surrender, through our availableness, so to speak, to coin a word, we allow the master and the master's nature of holiness to be seen in greater measure in us. Hence, we lead masterful lives. Suppose you've got a person that's kind of wrestling with this about God being seen through them. How would you, how do you discuss and encourage uh, the person who's wanting to apply this that it truly is the master being seen in them as opposed to, say, uh, God is who they discern uh, him to be or a figment of their imagination or, or kind of the, the God that they've created in their image? How do we make sure that it's, it's the master being seen through us as God really is, as opposed to the God of our own creation? Yeah, that's a really good question. And of course, that's where the struggle comes for all of us, because we are human and we do have finite constructs that we live by uh, in shaping our understanding of God. And of course, the dance of the Christian walk is always to learn how to live a life of surrender and submission to the influence of the Holy Spirit so that over time we become less prone to imposing our expectations, our constructs, our presuppositions about who God is, and thereby allowing God to be who God is in us. This is what John Wesley, Charles Wesley talked about when he wrote that famous hymn, Take Away the Bent Towards Sinning. So this, this constant tilting, this constant bending more and more toward God, in effect requires a greater and greater measure of surrender and submission on our part so that God can be seen in greater measure in us. So the struggle is, how do I know whether what I am uh, sensing is really my own expectation of God or my own assumption about who God is and, and truly allowing God. And I think that's where, we, that's where we have a variety of sources of witnesses. So we say, okay, is this, is this consistent with Scripture? Uh, we look for the principles of Scripture to corroborate something. Is this consistent with what what I would imagine God reasonably would do? There's the appeal to our reason. Is this consistent with how God has operated uh, throughout history in the traditions of the church? There's our appeal to tradition. Is this consistent with other ways in which God has worked in the lives of people, appealing to experience? 
a variety of sources to corroborate something that we may be experiencing in order to keep us from becoming the arrogant self that determines how God should work and when God should work. And of course, the posture of humility exemplified chiefly in Jesus Christ is the posture that will most allow for that influence to continually happen in greater measure as we grow and mature as followers of Jesus. So that your question is a good one. It's not easy, and it's a constant daily, um, it's a daily, I guess I'll go so far as to say struggle between the, the self-will of asserting ourselves in determining how we should live and surrender of that will to allow the will of God to, to become more visible in greater measure in us. Right. So that's ultimately the, the battleground is the battleground of the will. And of course, Jesus, that was Jesus own battleground, not my will, but thine be done. The struggle, the great struggle of the will. I think uh, one of the things that jumps out to me uh, in the midst of that conversation, you used the word uh, humility and you've offered different angles kind of to, to triangulate, so to speak. I don't know what the word would be if we have four sources, right, to use the, the quadrilateral language. But we're trying, to, we're trying to, yeah. to examine this from a number of points of view so that one doesn't get overemphasized and one doesn't get um, under, underemphasized. And what stands out to me is how that so nicely fits in with the masterful living metaphor that the the nature of the master comes through in these different in these different ways and achieve, can achieve is, is meant to be pursuit in pursuit of a kind of uh, harmonious knowledge right and so whenever we do have things at odds right scripture maybe at odds with our experience or or our the re, you know contemporary sources of reason at odds with tradition right whenever we have things at odds is that that's not to meant, meant to be discouraging to us, but to keep driving us back into the continuing this conversation to keep the posture of the humble posture of a learner, uh, but one who's deeply founded in faith that there is a, a harmony coming, that there is a that there is a way that this fits together to truly reflect God, that God can be seen and will be known in all these different ways. Um, eventually and in time and maybe not in the short term but but certainly hopefully unfolding through a person's life as they are committed to this learning posture that their picture of God is is becoming consistent is becoming clear is becoming compelling to people who are seeing God uh, at work and and living through them yeah I, I love the way you describe that Aaron I think you're right on I agree with that and I love the description particularly at the point of recognizing that this is an ongoing journey to which we have to commit ourselves. Um, it, it doesn't happen all in a moment, and it's not something that suddenly we get. It's not something that somehow dawns on us as a doctrine. It really is a journey. So the, the presuppositions, as I hear you saying, would be, A, that behind all of this, God is the source. And so whether we pursue our, our traditions or scriptural principles or our own experience, we can be assured that God is wherever we explore, wherever we pursue, wherever we look for deeper understanding, God is going to be there because God is the source of all truth. And the second thing that I take from your comments that I think is really important 
And that is this, that we always position ourselves on the balls of our feet, leaning into life, not not retreating from it, that we lean into it and say, okay, I may not have resolution now. There may be some inconsistencies that I'm seeing, but I need to lean into this ambiguity, this uncertainty. I even need to lean into the doubt because as I lean into it, I know that I'm going to find God in these sources of discovery and learning. And as long as I lean into that in a posture of humility, I can be assured that God is there and that I will come to understand this in God's wholeness and holiness. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, love, I love your description there. Let me take our conversation in a, in a different direction. Uh, full disclosure, I, I was honored to have Dr. Manoya contribute a chapter to a book that Dr. Brian Easley and I edited a couple of years ago. And in that chapter, uh, Dr. Manoya, you talked about uh, servant leadership. And you used a paradigm shift that has been really helpful to a number of my students. We have adult learners uh, here at the seminary, and a number of them sure. remark this this uh, insight to them that servant leadership, you say, is not about serving the self. It's not about serving your church. It's about serving God. And the re- the way that that really right. helped people is that they found, to, to be frank, that sometimes, not sometimes churches as a whole, but often people within the church and sometimes systems within the church could be pretty tyrannical rulers. And if they were trying to serve yeah. their church, then they ended up being in service, uh, in service to tyrants and, and then participating, colluding even in, uh, in systems that were not helpful and that were not healthy. And so reframing that was so helpful uh, to them. Could you talk a little bit about, from your vantage point, why is this distinction, rather than serving the church to serving God in the church, why is that distinction so important for us to hold on to? Yeah, well, that's a really good question, Aaron. And, and frankly, um, if I can just share with you briefly from a personal, from the, the experience that gave rise to that. I mean, I write about this in another book called The Integrity Factor, uh, this journey of leadership formation. But that really hit me like a ton of bricks uh, at a time in my life, early in my ministry, when I was struggling with trying to, to juggle the many varied agendas and priorities of a local church and a congregation. And there were a lot of voices. And at the time, I was also overseeing about 23 other churches, a lot of voices, a lot of pressures, and, and you know, uh, and then criticism. And I remember on my way to speaking at a university spiritual emphasis day, Uh, in Illinois, stopping at the Houston Intercontinental Airport, and in the Interfaith Chapel, just sitting and kind of exasperated, saying, God, help me, what what is going on? And it it was one of those moments where gradually the light began to dawn when I asked the question,
prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. He wasn't asking people what they wanted. He was asking God what he wanted. And so his, his fealty, which is an old word that we, we don't use much anymore, his fealty was principally to God. He was a servant of God. Now, because he was a servant of God, he was moving at the impulse of God, whose greatest desire was to reconcile people back to himself. So the ministry of reconciliation was his ministry, right? And secondly, his nature was conformed to the image of God. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? The nature of Christ was the evidence, or Hebrews says, the effulgence of God. Paul says, in him the fullness of God was, was pleased to dwell. So we see the nature of God in Jesus. We see the priorities of God in Jesus. So when we are servants of God, the nature of God begins to get rub off on us, and the priorities of God begin to, to, to realign our priorities. And those priorities are then that we reflect Christ and live holy lives, and secondly, that we reconcile people back to God. Well, that's ministry. That's the diaconate-type ministry. We, in other words, uh, are the diaconia. We are the, 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 the ministries of God to the world, but we serve God, you see. So when we are servants, we want to do what our master chooses and desires. Any servant wants to please their master. And so we want to reflect. We want to be like our master. And we want to do what's important to the master. Well, that's ministry. Ministering to people because that's God's number one priority. So Jesus came as a servant of God and a minister to people. I am called to be a servant of God and a minister to people to the extent that being a servant of God changes my nature and realigns my priorities to do what God wants me to do or what's important to God. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I, it's that, it's that a sense of, I mean, that's the, that's the, uh, the paradox of, of service to God is freedom in the world, right? That, that like yeah. Martin Luther said, that uh, he's, a, he's a Christian, so he's a he's perfectly bound slave, but he's a Christian, so he's perfectly free. Uh, and it, it's that both end. That the service to God is what renders yeah. us free to give service to other people, rather than being exactly. at their own at, at their own beck and call for what they think is important or setting the agenda. And you can see how having numerous voices into our ears can just pull us in different directions, right? That that those those voices right. that speak louder, whether it's from the church, from within our own our own wishes and our, our own desires, right? That that calls a voice kind of to us that, that that would feel like a very kind of experience of being pulled in multiple directions. And and undoubtedly, that is part of what the experience of pastoral ministry can feel like is being pulled in multiple yeah. different directions, especially, especially whenever those voices are have elements of truth and whenever they are, are trying to, whenever they have good ideas behind them, whenever they have have yeah. situations of misery or brokenness behind them and want to reach out that every every voice of those they don't have to be sinister voices for them to be compelling in fact whenever they're not sinister voices it's whenever they're most compelling and so to kind of have that that 
that line, that, that focus that is able to try and to, to crowd out or listen for the voice of God in the other voices and be tuned to his voice, to be tuned to the voice of the yeah. Father, that's where that freedom can come in and, and give us freedom for all the things that we simply cannot do and all the, thi- all the things yeah, yeah. that we cannot meet. Because uh, Pete Scazzaro is so, is so right on this. When he talks about the emotionally healthy leader, that, that we, we are not responsible for all the things, other things in other people's lives. And, there, and we have, we're limited beings, and there's only a certain amount that we can actually be helpful and ministering to in a way that's not um, failing others, right? That, that we can only faithfully and, and helpfully be involved in a certain amount of people's lives with a certain amount of responsibilities. And God doesn't overtax us, right? God doesn't tax us with responsibilities that are unhealthy. He taxes us with more than we can do, but not more than we can do outside his help, right? And and I think that's right, right. that's the I mean there's an art form to that, right? To kind of go back to the masterful living again that there's a there's a there's a rhythm to that, there's a wisdom to that, there's a there's a challenge to that that keeps us tuned into the voice of the Father that you know, what would you have me do, right? And to keep going back to that rather than being kind of sent out just kind of into the world and and trying to listen for the loudest voice and be attuned to multiple voices. Uh, I find it just a, a really yeah, the whole, distinction. Yeah, the whole premise of this, Aaron, is built on the fact that um, I believe that God created us in, with, with, a, with a duality of, of, of being. There is who we are and there is what we do. You know, and, and I describe it, and I think I write about this in the integrity factor as well. I describe it in an iceberg. The bottom of the iceberg is my identity. The top of the iceberg is my activity. And it's and 90% of my personhood is beneath the waterline. And, and that's why it's so important to have an identity that is secure, not as a servant of people, or a servant of money, or a servant of power, but as a servant of God, because my identity as a servant will take on the nature of my master. If I, if my master is money, I will become greedy. If my master is power, my I will become abusive. Right. So, so it's important that our identity is shaped. Now, being a servant. Uh, does not mean that we don't do ministry. We do ministry out of our identity as a mm. servant. Mm. And, and that's why the English language is sometimes confusing to us, because we don't tend to discriminate between the idea of serving people or, or providing service to people and being a servant. We tend to we tend to roll those up into one meeting, but there is a difference between being a servant of someone and serving them. Like like the, the, the Acts chapter 7, the, the serving tables and serving food, doing things, but that doesn't make them a servant of. So you quote Pete Scazzaro. I will quote, um, I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll quote uh, Jennifer Lopez. How about that? Right? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you, you've probably seen that old movie Made in Manhattan, uh, where she's a maid in a really high-end hotel downtown Manhattan, and she gets caught doing something and then gets fired and yada, yada, yada. And the, the chief butler uh, meets her downstairs in the basement of the hotel when she has her uniform folded up and she's turning it in, and she's got to leave because they fired her. 
and he meets her there, and he has his uniform folded up, and he's going to turn it in with her. And and I don't remember much about the movie, but I remember with this one line where the chief butler tells J-Lo, uh, we may serve them, but we are not their servants. And in that moment, all of a sudden, the clear distinction between identity and activity is made clear. With pastors, with people who are doing the work of God in the world, it's absolutely essential that they discriminate between being a servant of God and serving people. There's a difference here. Uh, We serve people out of our identity as a servant of God, because if we don't, that's where we're going to wind up in moral failure. I mean, in my early ministry, every six months, I was having to release another senior pastor for moral failure. And it wasn't until I came to this truth and started calling my pastors to, to deepen the well of their own identity as a servant of God. It wasn't until that happened that that pattern of moral failure changed. And when we began to drill down in pastoral identity as a servant of God and ministers to people, when we began to do that, suddenly health and vibrancy and thriving and and the moral failures started to taper off and so forth. So please, please, please be careful. I mean, any, I say this to pastors and seminary students, please anchor yourself as a servant of God first with a clear identity rooted in him, and then let your ministry proceed from that and not be defined by what you do. Joining us today is uh, Dr. Kevin Manoya. Dr. Manoya is the university chaplain at Azusa Pacific University. We've been talking about uh, holiness, holy living. We've been talking about uh, what it means to be a servant of God who ministers to people. And, and just most uh, most recently, just kind of delving into this issue then of integrity. Uh, let me let me ask one more question of you, of you, Dr. Manoya, before yeah. we wrap it up. No problem. Uh, uh, right. We, you've been you, we just introduced this idea of integrity. And boy, it seems like every every week, every other week, there's just a, another story of prominent people in both Catholic and Protestant leadership alike that are just. There's another there's another story coming out about some kind of failure, some kind of failing, some kind of cover up to a failing that yeah. had gone on on before and there. Uh, you you've shared this one one way of rooting one's identity in God, and and having a clear picture of what one's calling is to Christ, and then out of that identity rooted in Christ, out of that being the the service, right, the the doing. Uh, many of our pastors are some of our listeners are, are seasoned pastors, right? They are they're some sometime into the into the into their ministry, um, maybe midway, maybe nearing the end, maybe they're just a couple of years into it. But they're they're asking this question: How would you how would you help? How would you counsel them to be asking this question? How do they discover this call, and and how do they root this identity in Christ? What are some practical uh, words of wisdom that you would give to them if they're asking? Well, okay, I want to do that. How do I do it? Yeah. Well, that's a big. That's a big barn door, a huge question, Aaron. Uh, well, that, that's why I asked and, it. Right near, that's why I asked it right near the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And I don't even have a whiteboard in front of me to use. 
Yeah. Uh, I would love to be, I would love to sit down with pastors. I, I love that more than anything else. Sit down with pastors and just unpack that and talk that, that kind of language with them. Because frankly, I think this is where, this is where effectiveness in pastoral leadership really comes from. This is where power in pastoral leadership comes from. It comes from a well-formed sense of identity which gives rise naturally to activity that reflects that identity as a servant of God. Um, you know, the, the question of integrity is a, is, a, is a big one, and it's related to this. All these things we've been talking about are, are obviously intertwined. Integrity is nothing more than consistency among various parts. That's all it is. And, and uh, it's a consistency between who I am and what I do. It's a consistency between the bottom of my iceberg and the top of my iceberg. Uh, you know, when you build a bridge, you build a bridge in various parts, and then you fit them all together. And you know that the bridge has integrity when, after all of the parts have been fit together, then you can drive trucks across it, and it holds them up or a building, you put the pieces together and you know the building has integrity when, when, you, when people come up onto the floors of the building, they put furniture in and it holds it up and it withstands all the elements. Integrity is when various parts fit together to make the whole and fulfill what they were called or imagined to do. So integrity is when the various parts of who we are as people fit together the way God intended them to in fulfilling the call of God in our lives. And that principally has to do with uh, our, our, who I am and what I do, our heart, our soul, our mind, our bodies. When those things are, are fitting together with consistency, now we are able to live out fully God's call in our life. So, so I guess practically living that out. Yeah, there are steps to doing that, you know, living a life of mutuality with other people, uh, living a life that is intimate with the creator who speaks to the soul and brings wholeness to the soul where his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, living with certain habits that are designed to, to build the bottom of the iceberg, the identity. We happen to call those spiritual disciplines. I prefer to use the word habits because it's more widely understood. But living with habits designed to build who we are, you see. So, yeah, there are practical elements to that. And it's really important that pastors get this. Pastoring is much more than doing a lot of spiritual stuff uh, in front of people. It, it is forged in the privacy, in the solitude, in the, in the valleys of our own experience, in the secret places of our heart. And when God is there forging us deeply as a servant of God, now he's got a, we have a well from which to draw when we stand up in front of people and start doing the ministry that touches lives. If I could try and bring things full circle, what I hear and what I think I'd want to communicate to our listeners is that 
having that posture of the learner, giving oneself permission to ask that question again, God, what would you have to say to me? God, who I am in light of you? God, how do I, how do I bring this together? Given all the knowledge and experience that I've had, of course, a pastor after 10 or 20 or 25 or whatever, however many years can be asking that question because there's been so much more experience for them to bring into subjection and to bring them into submission to what God is doing in them and forming in them. And, and the other thought that that's coming to mind is, is using that idea of, of the harmony of knowing who God is and how it's okay if there's lack of harmony uh, in a moment, right? And, there, and we're asking that question again of identity. It's okay if there's lack of harmony, but to have that posture of a learner and that step of faith that there is a, there is a direction and there is a, an end game of, of harmonious, deep knowledge of God that to be known as we are known, right? To, to, uh, to know yep. God as he knows us. Um, uh, yep. that, that, that possible, that, 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 that future is there and, uh, to, to pursue it with, with dogged determination in, in the power of Christ and by his Holy spirit. And I think that, that in turn is what is also helping to set the trajectory of discipleship for people that are seeing that, that kind of pursuit of God in our own lives. And, and they can sense it, right? Our people in our churches, they can, they can sense it. Um, they can sense oh, yeah. there's a heart following hard after God uh, in the pastor. Maybe that we can kind of, you know, cover that for a little while. But but over the long haul, that our people know that and they can sense that, and they, yep. they do that yep. in. Yep. yep, that's exactly right. Well, I really appreciate your pulling those pieces out. And frankly, there's so much here that you know that just requires a lifetime or, or, or a lot more time to unpack. But but yes, that is that is exactly what I hope pastors will begin to hear in greater measure. Joining us today has been Dr. Kevin Manoya talking about uh, holiness, integrity, spiritual formation, all kinds of things that we've covered today. Thanks so much, Dr. Manoya, for joining us today. You bet. I'm happy to do it, and, and I pray God will bless you and all of the pastors you're touching. Amen. I pray that as well. And we hope that uh, part of that answer to prayer comes through the resources that we try to make available here through the Wesley Seminary podcast. So we encourage you to check out our library of podcast episodes and see if any one of those would be a next step that you can take today about continuing this posture of a learner and a humble learning attitude. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.